listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series, What the Bible Says About, with a new weekly topic that goes through what the Bible says on important issues of the day. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. All right, it's a privilege to be able to feed you the Word of God today, courtesy of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as we look at what the Bible says about withered celery. What the Bible says about withered celery. I bet you never thought that withered celery was in the Bible, but I'm going to show you very clearly that withered celery is in the Bible, and you need to know what it says about withered celery, because if you don't, you might wither up and blow away, for all I know. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 1 of our Father's Word, the Apostle Paul, the mighty super apostle, the one who was an apostle as one abnormally born, there were the 12 apostles and then the Apostle Paul, this recovering Pharisee, this man who was a murderer and a blasphemer and a violent man, this man had undertake, undergone a transformation courtesy of the renewing of his mind, courtesy of the work of the Holy Spirit. He had undergone a transformation where now he's actually writing scripture. He's actually the one who is used by God more than any other single author in the New Testament to write more of the books than any other author. It's the Apostle Paul. And look at what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's his umbrella statement as he's been teaching the Corinthians and exhorting them and challenging them and encouraging them. Finally, he says, listen, the bottom line is be an imitator of me. And what a great thing to aspire to, that you'd be able to say to other people, follow me as an example of a Christ follower. Follow me, you can emulate my life, you can follow my example. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And he's, it's interesting here because he's already written 10 chapters worth of information about the gospel and about sanctification and about sin and avoiding sin. And now he says, listen, I want you to live for Jesus the way I live for Jesus. Now, with that understanding, we're going to back it up and we're going to look at chapter 9, beginning in verse 20, as we examine what the Bible says about withered celery. Paul, this guy who is telling people to be an imitator of him, to be imitators of him, says this, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, meaning the Gentiles, the Greeks, the non-Jewish people, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So you're getting this understanding of Paul's mission in his life. The thing that he had devoted himself to was to lead people to Jesus Christ, whether they were Jews or whether they were Gentiles, whether they were familiar with the Old Testament or not at all familiar with the Old Testament or somewhere in between. This was his ambition. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, 
all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now let's back this up and we're going to zero in on verses 22 to 27. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. All means all. And at the end of the day, at the end of your life, you've either lived as a sellout or you have been sold out for Jesus Christ. There's no in-between, there's no gray for the Apostle Paul. This guy who says, be an imitator of me as I follow Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's urging the Corinthians to be. And that's what he's urging us to be as well, to follow him as he follows Christ. And one of the things you have to understand about the Apostle Paul is there was very little gray for the Apostle Paul. When you really think about it, there's really no room for gray when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there, is there a biblical justification for being lukewarm for Jesus? No. Not unless you want to be part of the example that we find when Jesus is addressing the Laodicean church in the book of Revelation where he says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. If you want to be part of that scene, then there's a place for lukewarm. But you don't want to be part of that scene, right? You don't want to be part of that. All means all. One of the things that you understand when it comes to following Paul's example of being a Christian is that Paul was sold out. He would not sell out. He would not have his life revolve around anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus, which is known as the gospel. That's what it is. What he says here, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. What it's referring to here is the advancement of the gospel. He considered everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, his God and his Savior. In the book of Romans, in chapter 11, Paul goes so far as to say, listen, if it would mean that my brothers and sisters in Christ, of the nation of Israel, who have so far rejected Jesus as their Savior, if my damnation, my personal damnation, would result in their salvation, I would be willing to suffer that. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't yet have that kind of commitment for other people. Because people, if you haven't noticed it, they have an amazing condition that they walk around with this condition and they don't even realize they have it. In fact, you might have it and not even realize that you have it, but other people all around you could be recognizing it left and right. It's this condition called epidermis penetratus. That's the amazing ability to get underneath somebody else's skin. That's what it is. It's a made-up term. I made it up. Yes, you're welcome. But it illustrates this whole idea of how we can get underneath other people's skin in such a way 
that we don't see the value in other people the way God sees value in other people. And if we're really brutally honest, if we're really transparent, we wouldn't die for the whole world (laughs) because we don't see value in other people the way the Lord Jesus Christ sees value in other people. And I'm thankful that he is the savior and went to the cross and finished the work because I would have bailed out. I'm thankful that we have in the Apostle Paul an amazing example where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. This guy was sold out. He would not sell out for anything or anybody. He was sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're going to be an imitator of the Apostle Paul as a good example, a godly example, a great example of being a Christ follower, then that means that you need to be sold out and you need to perhaps stop selling out. You need to perhaps stop selling out, giving into the opinions of people in this day and age where the opinions of people seem to mean so much. Listen, we're not going to appear before the judgment seat of people. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's his opinion that matters. People's opinions don't really matter. If you make it your ambition to please God, you'll please the people you need to please. Let the chips fall where they fall. But if you make it your ambition to please people, you might not please the people you need to please, and you might jeopardize pleasing the living and true God, the only one whose opinion really matters in the eternal scheme of things and also in the here and now. Paul says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Notice his all-consuming passion for salvation. You might say to yourself, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not an apostle. But you are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, called to imitate the apostle Paul who was all in, sold out for the salvation of souls. Every part of the body of Christ plays its role. Every part plays its role. Look what he says here. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Your whole life needs to be centered upon the person and the works of Jesus Christ. And admittedly, some people don't get it. In some sense, none of us really get it because we all have areas of our lives. Can I get an amen for that? We don't really understand as much as we really should understand. There's a growing sense that in your life, as you age, you should become better and better with age as a follower of Jesus Christ. There are things you should be understanding about the Lord Jesus and the gospel today that you did not understand yesterday, last year, years before. You should be not just getting older, but you should be getting more and more sanctified, more and more set apart, more and more transformed through the renewing of your mind so that you're given over entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. It's by all means. Your whole life is centered upon the Lord Jesus and his passion for the lost. Now, if your life is not centered on that, then you need to make some adjustments in your life. And admittedly, some of us don't understand it. None of us understand it to the degree to which we could. But you do want to take captive those areas of your life and that stinking thinking where you might have some gross misalignments with the mission of Jesus. 
and the importance of his lordship in your life. You know, the name of a church matters because the name of a church communicates to Jews and Gentiles, people who are black and white and rich and poor and young and old. The name of a church communicates to outsiders, not just insiders. See, so many of us in the body of Christ, we know Jesus for such a length of time that with the passage of time, we stop caring about the lost. And it all becomes about me, myself, and I, and my church, and my ministry, and my pastor, and my Jesus. Jesus is the greatest gift given to the whole world. And so the name of a church matters because the name of a church needs to communicate to the lost the importance of their need to be found, to be saved. And many times we use within the body of Christ insider language. That doesn't mean a hill of beans to somebody who's far from Jesus. And we want people to act like a follower of Jesus before they even know Jesus. It's backwards. See, what's important to understand is that the message never changes. The message never changes. But the methodology should continually change. The mechanism will continually change. The gospel has been preached for millennia. It's not just on the day of Pentecost where the gospel began to be preached. The whole Old Testament has the gospel in it as well, the plan of God, the good news of salvation found in God. In the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't yet appeared. So they worshiped and served their God and looked forward to the Savior that they didn't know by name. In New Testament times, we know his name and we look back and are saved in the same way that Old Testament saints were saved looking forward to a person that they didn't know the name of that person, but they trusted in God by faith, right? Abraham was justified by faith and so he became the father of all those who have faith. But it's important to understand that the message never changes, but the methodology should always change. The mechanisms change. There are people alive today who are preaching and teaching the gospel, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ that weren't around 100 years ago. But 100 years ago, that same message and that same Jesus was being proclaimed under the same Holy Spirit, pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, just different mechanisms. But the message, we don't mess with the message. In fact, in Galatians, in chapter one, Paul says, if anybody comes and preaches to you a Jesus other than the one we proclaimed, let him or let the angel or angels be eternally condemned. And then he goes so far as to say, this guy who says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ, as I follow Christ, he says, let me say it again. If anybody, human being or spiritual being, an angel comes and preaches to you. That'd be something that Joseph Smith should have heeded, the founder of Mormonism. It's another quote-unquote gospel, but it's not the gospel. It's not. And I say that respectfully, but I say it based on the word of God. Paul says, if anybody comes to you, I don't care how amazing the alleged revelation might be and preaches to you a gospel other than the one that I preached to you. And elsewhere he says, or you receive a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached. Eternal condemnation, that's not a small thing, that's a huge, 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 eternally significant thing. 
The message never changes, but the methodology must change if you're consumed and concerned about leading people to Jesus Christ. Paul, the one who's telling us, follow me, follow my example, says, I became all things to all people so that by all means I might what? What does he say? I might win some. And by the looks of many people within the body of Christ, we don't seem to be very sold out for Jesus in this way, which means if we're not sold out for Jesus, we have become sellouts. Our lives are not centered upon the person of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ the way they should be. So the name of a church matters because it communicates something to the community. It communicates something to the community and either opens the gate wide to the lost, becoming all things to all people, so that the objective, the main thing, must remain the main thing. So let's keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you're glad, and you should be, that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you, opened your eyes, softened your heart, helped you understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that you would not be able to come to the Father except by him. How many of you are grateful for that by applause? Just by a round of applause. We need to go beyond our personal gratitude for that and into our personal passion that it could be said not just of the Apostle Paul, But this is the guy who says, all believers everywhere should be following my example. It needs to be said of you. I become all things to all people that by all means, I might win some. That I might share the gospel. That I, even though I might not be an evangelist, I would roll up my sleeves and partner with other people who are building the only kingdom that will last forever, preaching the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, that God really did take away your sins. He really will take away your sins, every one of them, the moment you give your life to Jesus. Well, how can I say that with absolute confidence? Because God the Father would not have raised a charlatan, a fake, phony fraud from the dead. The whole idea of the resurrection is that it's God the Father's seal of approval. It is his PR campaign. What my son did satisfies me totally. What my son said was entirely true. You can put your faith in my son. That's why when John the Baptist was baptizing, they heard a voice from heaven. It said, this is my beloved son, Jesus. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is to cast nets and lead people to salvation in Jesus Christ and to disciple them in fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so not only does a church name matter, but so also does the building that that group of people meets in. It has saddened me, if I could be very honest. Once in a while, I'm honest when I'm preaching. Have you noticed that? 
that some folks don't understand the significance of grumbling. The Israelites wandered for 40 years. In fact, you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and you'll read some of the remainder of the story about how Paul warns the believers. Listen, just because you're part of a church, that doesn't mean that you necessarily are saved or that you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, that you're being sold out for God. The Israelites wandered for 40 years because they grumbled. What are you leading up to, Pastor Mike? What I'm leading up to is we are in the process of retrofitting a very large building that in all honesty was never built to be a church, a community of worshipers that was by design theologically laid out that opened up its arms and said, come, you big, beautiful mess. Come with all your junk in your trunk. Come and fellowship with other recovering sinners and recovering Pharisees. Come and have a meal. Come and get your doors blown off by hearing the word of God and encountering him in worship. And don't just leave immediately. Go out and hang out with the other saints, those who are called chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. Hang out with them, fellowship. Let's process together the goodness of our God. And that's what we're in the process of doing with what we're doing in the atrium. It's not just about beautification aesthetically. It's about beautification so that God can take this big, beautiful mess of recovering sinners and faulty people. And we can all look and see the glory of God manifest in our midst before we have our stuff taken care of. So that you actually hear from the word of God, you encounter God through worship, and as you're walking down the aisle and as you open the door and you leave, you don't want to leave because you need to pull somebody aside and you need to say, isn't God good? It's not about setting up events. It's not about going to church. It's about being the church. It's about being the body of Christ. It's about reaching out to the lost. And I thank God, I do. I thank God for the hard work and the tremendous financial sacrifices that were made to give us a 150,000 square foot building that many people wish that they had. There are churches that just don't have the space or the, the place to be able to grow and accommodate. Now we're in a new season of our church where God has been moving. It's not just to value the movement of God. It's something that we believe in wholeheartedly to such a degree that we're willing to change the way the building looks to accomplish that end. We have five values here. Humility is very important. Without humility, try going someplace significant with God. You ain't going nowhere, right? Humility is one of our key five vital values. Simplicity, another value. Don't you think? Don't you realize? I know I do. I need my life to get more and more simplified. We live in a day and age where things gravitate toward complexity. So we need to be intentional about simplifying things, stripping things down, and making sure that we're about the main thing. And in this instance, the main thing is to become all things for all people at all times that you might win some. I'm thankful that we have the value of relationships. It's not possible 
to love God if you don't love people. And so our building should communicate that. We love you, you big, beautiful mess. We love you with all your junk in the trunk. We love you as messed up as you are because guess what? We are all messed up people apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us. When I look back, the older I get, and I see where I was at when I was a teenager and how far away from God I was, even though I went to church and was an altar boy in the Catholic church, it gets richer and deeper and more and more significant. I thank God that he rescued me as messed up as I was. And you don't think God has a sense of humor? I don't say this for any other reason than it's true. Every time you look in the mirror, you look at the proof that God has a sense of humor. It's not just me. I became a pastor. Listen, if God can do that with me, he does that with everybody. Amen. There's nothing that we bring to God that we say, hey, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. You want your wife to have that attitude toward you. You want your husband to have that attitude toward you. But the Bible says, I will not share my glory with another. The Lord says, I won't share my glory with another. I become all things to all people by all means, so that by every opportunity I might win people. You're either sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ or you have become a sellout for something lesser, something less significant. And so our meeting space, it does matter from a theological perspective, from the perspective of what we communicate to people. We want people to know we care about you. We care about your soul. We care about you imitating not just the Apostle Paul, but the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to character. And we are so sold out to that objective, that agenda. This is the time where you can jump up out of your seat, you can shout hallelujah, and you can begin to applaud if you want to. You don't have to. We have an opportunity to take this building and to get it right so that it begins to communicate what people need to see and to hear when it comes to the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. We want it to be so that people come in and we have to actually say to them at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, it's time to go home. We want people to be overcome with tears of joy and tears of sorrow and tears of freedom. We want that movement of God not just to happen here in our auditorium. We want it to happen in the atrium. We want it to happen in the parking lot as people leave. We want it to happen on the internet as people are watching. We want it to happen while people are listening to podcasts. We want the whole world to know about the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel because the last time I checked, that's the only good news that there is in this world where bad news seems to be so prevalent. Praise the Lord. So it's time that we get sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time that we can imitate the Apostle Paul and say, just like he said, I become all things to all people that by all means I might win some. Anybody with the Apostle Paul on that? Anybody interested in doing that? And look what he says in verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel. You know, many of us do things for the advancement of our 401k or our career advancement. On social media, unfortunately, for more likes, more follows. 
We do things to get people to whatever or to get what we want, what we value. But Paul, who says, follow me, imitate me, he says, I do it all. Everything I do in my life, I do it all for the gospel. That's how sold out he was to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is petitioning you. He's encouraging you. He's challenging you. He's beckoning you. He's saying today, he speaks from the grave in immortality through the word of God. And he says, be like me. You might not be an apostle, you might not be an evangelist, but you can be sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what might happen in this body of Christ, this particular church, or in churches around the nation, if we stopped treating the Bible as if it's a book about us, and we began to look at the Bible as if it really is a book about God, And we began to adjust our lives to it. You know, we'd see that mighty spiritual awakening that many of us say without even knowing what we're asking for, we're hungry for, and that we want. We would see it courtesy of the Holy Spirit right here and right now in this congregation and any church where people are hungry for the movement of God, we'd see it. The Bible is not primarily a book about us. It's primarily a book about God. And one of the terrible tragedies of the 21st century is that we have made this book that is about God, about us. Paul adjusted his entire life to the agenda of God. It's not your money. It's God's money. And one day you're going to be judged by what you did with God's money. It's not the time of your life. It's the time of God's life that he gave you. And you need to make the most of the time, make the most of the opportunities because the days are evil. One day you'll be judged for your use of time. Jesus said every word that comes out of a person's mouth will be judged. (coughs) Every word. Remember that the next time you grumble. Remember that the next time you gossip. Remember that the next time you badmouth somebody. Paul's entire life, and he's urging you. He's urging me. If he had a family, his entire family would be sold out for this because we know this from his writings and the other epistles. In Ephesians, for example, about fathers and mothers and children and parents. He wants every family to be sold out and not to be revolving around anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. Have you become a sellout instead of being sold out for the Lord Jesus Paul's passion was that people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Look what he says here in verses 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Self-control. Galatians chapter 5, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. What is he talking about? But we... And imperishable. It seems that Paul is referring to the Isthmian Games, the Isthmian Games, about 14 kilometers, for those of us who aren't really good at the metric system in the United States of America, about 8.6 miles from where the Corinthians were based. And every two years, they would have the ISTH. M-I-A-N, the Isthmian Games. Every two years, they would have these games that were second only to the Olympics every four years. And the six main competitions that they would have, they would have racing, they would have jumping, they would have javelin, they would have wrestling, boxing, and hurling. 
Those were the six main games that were involved. And what would happen is this. Whoever won their particular competition, you would get, you ready for this? You would get a crown. This is amazing. This is something that you can go home. We can implement this in the school systems. We can implement this in college. We can implement this for football games. This should be the buzz that people are talking about. Never mind kneeling or standing for the national anthem. Imagine how this would revolutionize the professional football games if we did this. In the Isthmian games, Whoever won, whether it was boxing or hurling or javelin or running or jumping, whoever won their competition would get a wreath of withered celery. Wow. And the implication that Paul is bringing up here, see, why would they do that? Because they understood that even the crown, it was already beginning to decay. Paul is saying, listen, these people do things in life for a reward that's not permanent. It's a crown that's not even going to last. You do it in terms of centering your life on the Lord Jesus and the gospel for a crown that will never perish. Never. Why would somebody want a crown of withered celery? Because they understood, the athletes understood, it's not about that particular award that would quickly fade away. It will be all the fame and notoriety that would come as a result of being a winner. See, the crown that we receive for being faithful to Jesus, for being sold out to Jesus, for centering our lives on the Lord Jesus and the gospel, the crown that we receive is not for our own fame and notoriety, it's for his fame and notoriety. And when you stop and think about all the things that we spend our time debating and discussing in the church and outside the church, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's like we all have a case of spiritual amnesia. We debate the most ridiculous, stupid things that don't matter in the eternal scheme of things when we should be using our mouths and our resources and our time and our energy, everything we have to make the Lord Jesus Christ known to make sure that people know about the Lord Jesus and the gospel. I become all things to all people so that by all means, I might win some. Is that your mantra in life? Is everything that you're about, about the Lord Jesus and the gospel, or is it time to make some fundamental adjustments? You see, the prize that Paul is talking about here, the prize that we receive is imperishable. The prize is not simply important. The prize is imperative, it's crucial, it's vital. And he goes into a discussion about this. You can read it for yourself in chapter 10, just continue. He goes into a discussion where he helps us understand that, listen, you might have grown up in the church, you might be a part of the church right now, but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to finish strong. Look at what he says here, verses 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Obtain what? The prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath of withered celery or of pine. It's temporal. It's going to decay. But we, an imperishable. The prize is not simply important. It's imperative. It's vital. You need to finish strong. And you need to be sold out. I need to be sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my biggest fears, if I could be honest with you again, one of my biggest concerns, and I hope it's yours too, is that you finish strong in the race 
that God has called you to run in being faithful to the Lord Jesus and the gospel. You should be concerned and consumed with finishing strong because when you read the Bible, all of the people who fall in the Bible fell later in their life. Judas, three years with Jesus. It's at the end of that whole training course. He messes up royally. Moses, after he had seen the glory of God again and again and again and again and had been used by the Lord God, had received the revelation that no other human being had received where he got the personal covenant name of God. He strikes the rock when he should have spoken to the rock and he doesn't get to enter the promised land. Loss of rewards. You see it again and again that the people who fall in the Bible, they fall later in life. Solomon gets off to a good start, messes up. Gold, glory, and girls. The three things that God told them not to accumulate, he did all of them. David, the man who was called the man after God's heart, messes up later on. And even though God still had his hand on David, and from David we get Jesus in the lineage who will sit on the throne of David in a promise from God, The kingdom was divided, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Israel, as a disciplinary act of judgment by God because God will not be mocked. He shows no favoritism to individuals. And so you need to run with wisdom. You need to run with perseverance. You need to run with self-control so that you finish strong. So it doesn't matter how old you are. What matters is how faithful you are. Whether you're young or whether you're old, we're all getting older. We've grown old just in this time of listening together, just in this time of watching what God is saying to you, feeling what the Spirit of God is saying to you. What matters is that you run with wisdom, that you become all things to all people by all means, that you might be about the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you? Can God squeeze perhaps a little more faithfulness out of you, a little more wise stewardship out of you, a little more transformation out of you? Listen, until you take your last breath, until your last brain wave waves goodbye, God is not finished with you yet. And God wants you all in. He wants you to be sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ and not to compromise by selling out, by having your life and your resources and your time, the only life you'll ever get this side of eternity, centered upon anything other than the person and the works of Jesus Christ. So the prize is not just important, my friends, it's imperative. You need to run with wisdom. You need to run with perseverance. You need to be that marathon runner who paces himself or herself and finishes strong. What's involved in finishing strong? Look at what he says in verses 26 and 27. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. The idea of self-control again. Again, Galatians chapter five. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, if the apostle Paul can say this from his secure position and warn us and challenge us, then I think it's okay to allow a little bit of biblical tension, not to be so camped out on the fact that my 
eternal security and destiny is sealed, so I never need to think deeply again about my, the condition of my heart, the condition of my brain, the condition of my life before God. That's not biblical, checking out. You should always be checking in. And we teach and we preach and we believe in eternal security, that if God saves you, your eternal destiny is secure. I think that Paul teaches that in his writings. But listen, don't get lax. Follow him as he follows Christ, as he demonstrates for us. Listen, I've been called to be all things to all people, that by all means I might win some. But in the process of doing that, I take care of my own soul. I take care of my own mind. I take care of my own life so that I might not miss out on rewards, prizes, the opportunity to give God great glory with my life. Because when we sell out, instead of being sold out, we're compromising on the opportunity to give glory to God. That's the disqualification. Missing the chance, missing the opportunity to give God what rightly belongs to him. You know, I'm going to say this, and I hope you never forget it. This might be a bit of a buzz after I say it because some of us think it's a cuss word, but it's not. To be aimless, as Paul says, look at what he says here. Verse 26, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air but I discipline my body and to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. To be aimless is to be asinine. Asinine is spelled A-S-I-N-I-N-E. And it comes from the Latin meaning of ass or donkey. And the imagery that Paul is presenting here is that you're aimless and it's laughable to be like a boxer who is out there throwing haymakers, and nobody's on the receiving end. You know, if you know anything about ultimate fighting, some of you do, you just don't want to admit it. You know anything about boxing, you know that it takes the life out of you if you swing and miss the target. It makes you weaker. It's worse than throwing punches and hitting the target. And Paul says it's laughable. It's like somebody who's throwing punches and missing when you don't have your life based on the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. You're out there exerting all this energy and you're going for it. You're throwing hook and jab and knockout blow after knockout blow, but you look like a fool. You look asinine because you've built your life, based your life on something other than the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so self-control is a huge thing when it comes to finishing strong. It's a huge thing when it comes to glorifying God. It's a huge thing when it comes to receiving that imperishable crown that will not fade, the crown that gives glory to God. Self-discipline, self-control, sticking with it, a long obedience in the same direction. What has God called you to do? He's called you to follow the example of the Apostle Paul to lead as many people as possible to the Lord Jesus Christ, to just as the Apostle Paul adjusted everything in his life, not some things, everything in his life. Do you understand that? In fact, he says elsewhere, I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul seems to have liked that three-letter word, all. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to like that three-letter word, too. 
all means all. And you need to be all in, sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ, giving him all of yourself for the purpose of winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ while we still have time. Because the truth of the matter is that there's coming a day when the last person will give their life to the Lord Jesus. And then that's it. The net of evangelism will be pulled up and then we'll move in the eschatological, prophetic world. We'll move into the next phase of God's agenda and you will no longer have the opportunity to lead people to Jesus. So whether it's a church adjusting its building and its ministries for that purpose of winning people to the Lord Jesus or whether it's a family adjusting everything you do in a family so that you can become all things to all people that by all means you might win some or whether it's you as an individual. It doesn't matter whether it's an individual thing or a group thing, a family thing, or an organizational thing. God's calling on your life is to follow the Apostle Paul who was sold out. He refused to sell out. And when you're sold out for Jesus, you refuse to sell out for other things, lesser things. You become a significant factor of influence that actually is involved in the greatest agenda the world will ever know, leading people to the feet of that same Jesus that Paul got to see on his road to Damascus and helping them understand that salvation and the forgiveness of sins is found in no one other than the Lord Jesus. And if that could motivate Paul, I think there's a good chance that it could motivate us as well. Don't you think so? Absolutely. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.